Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. This is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the COVID-19 recovery and how that's going from the Bank of Canada's perspective. We're also going to talk about Air Canada's latest demand of the federal government and the reopening, how to do that responsibly and uh, how to plan for a potential second wave. Now, these are some big topics to cover, and to get through them, I am joined once again by Mark Satov. He is the founder of Satov Consultants and a business strategy expert, and he's here to help us find solutions and ideas for businesses dealing with the pandemic. Mark, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. You know, I have so much to say about these topics today. They're very meaty, and I could just imagine now it's like the end of the show, and I don't know where the time went. So looking forward to getting into it. <laughs> yeah, I will make sure to cut you off. But <laughs> Please. Let, let's just jump right into it uh, and talk about the big stories of the day. Let's begin with the Bank of Canada. It was Wednesday was Tiff Macklem's uh, first interest rate decision since he became the governor of the Bank of Canada. And unsurprisingly, the central bank left the rates unchanged at 0.25%, basically near zero. Um, and Tim Macklem reiterated in his press conference and then subsequent interviews that that is not going to change anytime soon. So Canadians do not expect interest rates to be going up. He said, quote, it's going to be a long climb back and the Bank of Canada is going to be there through the full length of the recovery. What do you think of this, Mark? Are you feeling reassured by the non-decision well, interest rate decision? It's a funny way to make the announcement, you know, and I'm not here to criticize the way he makes announcements because I'm not sure I could do the job any better. But there's always talk when the Bank of Canada makes a, a, a statement, and it's the same with the Federal Reserve in the U.S., you're looking for the nuance in their statement. So you're looking for the specific decision. And then you're looking for what they're signaling either implicitly or explicitly. And what's interesting about this one is he, it was very explicit in terms of what he was saying. He wasn't asking you to look into the meaning of different words. He was saying this is going to be a long time and we are not going to change it. And so you could take some comfort in that if you are making financial decisions and you want to make sure, you know, if they're long term, that you're going to have access to low costs of capital for a very long time. But you could also look at it the other way and say he's doing it for a reason. And so it's a funny way to make the message again. I'm not saying it was the wrong decision. And I know they think a lot about what those statements are, but it's hard to, I'll say, come out of that uh, as an investor and say, I have a lot of confidence because you have to assume that Tiff Macklem is a better macroeconomist than you. I know I assume that for myself. And so if somebody who has that type of training and has that type of purview, more importantly, over the economy 
is predicting that it's going to be a long time, you then say to yourself, okay, this is going to be a long time. So I think that's, that's my first reaction. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did get um, some more information this week about what the recovery may look like. Uh, the CFI, CFIB had their latest survey results and um, my colleague, Stephanie Hughes, actually, she wrote a story about uh, Statistics Canada, what they had released. Um, I'll tweet out the link so you can find that story on my Twitter. Um, StatsCan said that almost two thirds of businesses expect the number of employees to remain the same over the next three months, uh, meaning that companies are not rehiring at this time, or at least a lot of them aren't. I mean, do you think that lack of rehiring means that the recovery is just, you know, as Tiff Macklem hinted, it's going to take a while? Or or do you think, I mean, are some of these jobs just going to disappear permanently? So this is where we need to look at another branch of government. In other words, the government itself that's making policy. And it is time to uh, look at some criticism. So, you know, uh, when we think about what they're doing, uh, I think there is too much CERB and not enough SUS, if that's the way to pronounce it, the, the wage subsidy. Uh, they've ex- extended the wage subsidy, uh, but they also have extended CERB by a little bit more. And I think what the government is not doing is giving people an incentive to hire people and giving people who are working an incentive to get back to work. You know, I would like to see them do a little bit more backstopping, a little bit more loan guarantee and ask businesses for a little bit more justification and ask individuals for a little bit more justification. I'll just give you some examples. You know, my business uh, has qualified for SUS in certain months and because of the way it's structured, when you qualify for some months, you automatically qualify for months following. Um, Any business in a competitive environment has no choice but to take Uh, any stimulus from government or any support that they can get, because if they don't take it and their competitors do, then they'll, they'll remove their cost position. But I'll say, you know, in the case of my business, we needed it technically a couple of months back and now our business has picked up, but we still qualify. And so again, if Mm -hmm. we qualify by the letter of the law, we're going to follow it, but we don't need it. The other thing I noticed, you know, in going through it with uh, my accountant, we get paid in five days from Sue's five days. Our, our customers don't pay us sometimes for 60 or 90 days. And so I think they're giving uh, companies uh, uh, access to cash that is not necessary. And uh, I think the CERB is a bigger deal. I don't know if you know this. There are 400,000 students who are eligible for CERB. And if you believe that it's $2,000 every four weeks, so $12,000, that's $4.8 billion uh, that is given out to students. Many of these students live at home. Many of these students weren't going to work anyway. And so I think the government needs to focus on sending money that is linked to businesses that are hiring and need the money and then placing it in, in ways that will drive the economy. And so I, I didn't answer your question directly. So I, I, the direct answer is I think that it's not going as fast as it could be if the government were making slightly different moves. Yeah, and I think that when they had their fiscal snapshot, which we discussed on the last episode, that was a big criticism that was levied against them was that, uh, you know, they talked about what they had already done. But people want to know, okay, now that we've had that, hopefully, presumably one time funding, now we need to look forward and figure out, you know, how the reopening and the recovery is going to fully work. Um, speaking of which, I do want to quickly talk about the Ontario reopening. We'll dig into it a little bit later in the show, but um, there is one company that has opted not to reopen right now, even though they have got the green light to do so as of Friday in some jurisdictions in Ontario, and that's Cineplex. Um, a spokesperson for the company said that the stage three opening 
was welcome news in Ontario, but that it's still reviewing what's being proposed by the province. And as a result, Cineplex is not in a position to open their theaters on Friday. I thought this was interesting for a few reasons. Um, I mean, they've had months to prepare for this moment, not to mention that they've actually reopened a bunch of theaters in, you know, all over the country. Ontario is the last to join um, in this kind of stage. So uh, what do you what do you think is happening here, Mark? Well, I think this is an example of policy that was made by the government that uh, was not thought through completely. And again, you know, we've talked about this theme. Uh, a lot of the safety regulations, I think, were well done uh, initially, and the financial things were well done initially, but we've had a lot of time to refine them. So when we say to an organization like Cineplex, you can't have more than 50 people in a theater at one time, and some of their theaters are multiplexes and have eight theaters of two or 300 people. You sort of say you cannot have 50, more than 50 people on that whole place. And you do the calculation and you walk, you know, for those who live in downtown Toronto, you know, the, the big one at Richmond and John, just count the number of staff that are in that place, taking tickets, guiding you through, serving food, uh, cleaning up. And now it would be more because of COVID. And you sort of say, can they actually live with 50 people? And you sort of say, okay, well, it's not about the economy, it's about health first. But don't doesn't the number 50 need to be, I'll say, scaled up relative to the square footage of a place? So to just say 50 people in a site is the maximum, well, does that the same if the site is 2,000 square feet or 20,000 square feet? And, you know, if they have a multiplex, uh, a lot of times in a multiplex theater, uh, you know, you could exit through a different door uh, than you came in. And so they have street exits. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, when you go to the theater, either a screen theater or another type of theater, why can't they let them be creative and actually have separate entrances and exits for each actual screening room and then say, OK, if the people that are going into that screening room are not going to mix with the rest of them, then they should be allowed 50 per screening room. And then you stagger the showings. Uh, there's so many different creative ways that I think you could find a way to get the capacity up without, uh, I'll say, deteriorating the health impacts a lot. I'm not a public health expert, but I'm just using some logic. And I, you know, as I started to know, the 50 was based on the general rule of gatherings. So I think Cineplex is making a statement to government that, you know what, I would be happy to open, but I can't open under these conditions because that's not the way my business runs. And even if they take public health very seriously, which I'm sure they do, it's just not sustainable for them to open right now. They're also, there may be a landlord thing where they're getting uh, the 25% and they want to make sure to qualify because the 70%. Uh, so I, I'm not sure about that. I was just thinking about that, but I'm, I, I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. And um, I, I reached out to, to Cineplex to try to get more details about that. And um, they, they just stuck to their statement that they released to everyone. So I think we'll find out more in the coming weeks what their plan exactly is and what it will look like. Um, but I do want to move on to our next story. This is also a topic we're going to discuss later, um, and that's travel. Air Canada is calling on the federal government to ease the quarantine restrictions that are in place right now for travelers entering Canada. Um, essentially, anyone that arrives in Canada by air, land, or sea has to quarantine for two weeks, even if you are not exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19. Um, so the airline released a letter from its chief medical officer on Wednesday, urging the government to consider what it calls a science-based approach. Um, back in the early days, the government had introduced this quarantine act. Um, it's now been extended through August 31st. And what Air Canada wants is 
for the government to create a list of countries that are actually exempted from this quarantine ban. So it's something that the United Kingdom has done, um, a few other European countries. And actually, Air Canada just included the list that the UK has for their exempted countries and just said, just just apply the rules to these ones. And it's a lot of European countries, South Korea, New Zealand, basically anyone that has their COVID outbreak um, under somewhat control, uh, the US is not on that list. Um, what do you think of this of this mark and, and what Air Canada is asking for? Lots to unpack there. I mean, what I don't know is what happens when somebody is connecting through one of the safe countries, but they don't come from one of the safe countries. And do we know if the safe, you could assume that the safe countries are being safe about the people they let in from other countries, but you don't know that. You just know that they have their outbreaks under control. Uh, I probably question, like you do, uh, the difference in credentials between the chief medical officer of Air Canada and the chief public health officers of our various provinces and of our federal government. Uh, it's not, to, I don't know the person and I couldn't judge them on merit, but I could judge them on bias. And I know one has a little bit more bias than the other. Uh, I think there's... I would say so, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing is... Uh, you know, I think the question of the U.S. looms large here because, as we'll talk about in the tourism industry and the fix, well, that's where international travelers come from in this country. And so if they're fighting a battle with the government and they're not fighting the battle on the U.S., which, again, I think makes sense because the cases in the U.S. are definitely out of control right now. Are they actually making a fight? Not that they can win, but are they actually waging a battle that is worth it to win? Because if they win, they say, okay, we could bring people in from other jurisdictions, from other countries around the world. Is that where a lot of their traffic is going to come? And more importantly, are enough people going to come from Europe to fill their plane? So if they say, uh, okay, it's one thing from London, as you probably know, there are many flights a day uh, to and from London on, you know, on British and Air Canada, uh, and now on WestJet as well. So you could probably fill a few of those planes. Uh, and then Paris, okay, less. Germany, a lot. Uh, but then you go around, they're not going to fill the planes because people in Europe, I think, are going to be interested in traveling to Europe now that some of the restrictions have lifted. I'm not sure people in New Zealand are saying this is a great time for a holiday to Canada. And I'm not sure people in Belgium are saying, you know what, I think I'm going to go for a holiday in Canada. Uh, that was a harder hit country, just happens to be. Um, but I'm thinking they're going to be happy to go to Spain if their restrictions are lifted and the Spanish restrictions are lifted or go to France, which is right next door. So I sort of get where they're coming from and they have to they sort of have to do something to try and get their business back going. But I think like a lot of other small businesses in tourism, I think what they need to do is focus on Canada uh, because the international market is just not going to be there for a while, especially because most of the international market is the U.S. and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. Although, I mean, and they mentioned this, they're saying just let us have the option essentially of uh, treating travel to these countries the same way that we are treating domestic travel because their argument is that the risks are the same that um, you're traveling to jurisdictions that have the same kind of, are going through the same situation. Um, so I think their point is at least give us the option of potentially having people travel. Because right now it seems just untenable to have to come to Canada and then quarantine for two weeks. No, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think it's definitely hard to imagine coming to a country and quarantine for two weeks unless you're 
going something unless you're you know not in a sort of working stage of life unless you're maybe a student or somebody who's retired and you're planning a much longer term holiday in which case uh it sort of makes sense or if you're moving somewhere of course it makes sense uh but yeah you could say leave it to them by the way it's not really the same level of risk because the flights are longer so uh and and there, there's definitely again i speak as though i i know the science very well i know what i've read about the science from people who do know it very well and certainly there's some they they believe that there's some correlation so and by the way i'm traveling next week uh i'm going to montreal i have to fly based on the schedules uh but it's a 42 minute flight uh and so there's a difference between a 42 minute flight to montreal and an overnight flight to frankfurt for example right or uh, an overnight and then some to yeah. asia or somewhere else and I will say that is that is what they had in their letter and their release. That wasn't my argument. Though. That was Air Canada's argument that they were making. Um, are you going to be on a on a middle seat? Are you trying to avoid that now that they're opened up when you travel to Montreal? I probably shouldn't say this, but since you asked me, I will be in business class because uh, I don't. I mean, sometimes I opt for business class, sometimes I don't. But in this case, my decision was. It's an extra few hundred dollars. It's going to make me feel a little bit more safe and more comfortable. And I'm going to absorb that uh, because it's just one of those things. And sort of like the fact that I say I tip a lot more when I go out to eat now because it's so rare. I'm traveling so rarely. I don't mind uh, spending the extra amount. The middle, the middle seat thing, by the way, I don't know if we have time. It's a very interesting debate because I know some people would say, well, you know, the middle seat, you can fill it because you're actually at more risk from the person behind you because A, they're closer to you and B, they're, you know, they're coughing in your direction as opposed to the middle seat. It just, you know, for those who travel in economy, which again, I do most of the time, uh, mm -hmm. the middle seat, like you're pretty close to each other, right? It just, it just, I know you're going to be wearing your mask most of the time. It just feels funny to have people that are that close. And I think they should manage the situation through using price instead of capacity. I think they're better off the airline industry saying we're not filling the middle seat and hopefully that drives price up and they get the revenue anyway. They don't have to fight with the government or yeah. public opinion. Yeah, anecdotally, I know that the the middle seat stuff has encouraged at least some people that I know from that were considering maybe flying somewhere and then thought, eh, I'm not so sure. Um, but that is all the time we have for those segments. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I do want to leave a lot of time for uh, our next part of the show, which is the fix. Let's um, move on to that where we dig into some of the issues that businesses are facing in this pandemic and, and get your fix for ideas and solutions to, um, to those issues. And let's start by talking about that reopening that I mentioned um, earlier. Certain regions in Ontario are going to be able to enter stage three on Friday. Uh, it's expected that Toronto and the GTA will follow soon, likely next week and, and in the days and weeks to follow. This is obviously good news for a lot of businesses in Ontario, including dine-in restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, should they choose to open, um, and recreational facilities. 
But for some, it is raising concerns about potential spikes in cases. I mean, in regions in the U.S., a lot of the the spikes in cases have been tied to reopening. And you're seeing even places like Alberta, not that they are anywhere close to what the U.S. is obviously going through, um, but they are they are having an increase in cases over the last few days. Um, so I want to dig into the concern about that second wave, Mark, and what should businesses be doing as they do reopen and as we enter these next stages? What are you telling your clients? What is the fix? As there is in many of these stories, uh, there's a health aspect and a safety aspect, and then there's a business aspect. And I observe that uh, many businesses are doing what they should from a health aspect, and many businesses are still not. Uh, the masks are the law, but you you know you have trouble, I'll say, getting businesses to enforce it. Uh, and, you know, you have bars uh, that are on a patio, but yet they're jammed uh, with people. And so I actually think businesses should do their part because they're better off staying open to some degree than actually causing a, a spike. But generally speaking, I feel like we are all going to be holding our breath, roughly speaking, until November 15th. Why did I pick November 15th? I think uh, schools are going to go back in the beginning of September, and we're going to see if there's going to be a surge in cases a few weeks after that. Uh, what we've seen around the world is that uh, if it's managed properly, there probably will not be a really big surge, although some uh, new cases, of course. So we're going to see what's happening with schools. We're actually going to see what's happening with the vaccine in November. Uh, not that we will have a vaccine ready, but you know there was good news from Moderna this week. Uh, if in November they are still giving us good news and they're saying, you know, we project now, we've gone through phase two, we project we're going to have vaccines by March or April of next year, that would be phenomenal news. I still think that's optimistic, uh, but we will at least have more news and more information. And then the third thing, of course, in November is the U.S. election, and we'll see if we have somebody rational uh, and sane uh, running that country, uh, which would not be the current person running that country, uh, obviously. And more importantly, but I said November 15th, not November 4th, because I think we also need to wait and see if there's going to be a civil war after uh, after the election. So, uh, and, and I say that half in jest. So I think any of those things going the wrong way could send our general state of confidence, the economy, uh, and our government uh, into a very intense reactive mode. And I think any of those things would cause us to go back to the state we were in, you know, lockdowns or other types of distress. Um, right. So what should what should businesses be doing, right. for example, when it comes to uh, their employees or their suppliers? You know, what should they be communicating to them now, even as they do enter the reopening, if they're going to be holding their breath until November? Um, to see how things shake out. Transparency, transparency. You have to plan for the worst uh, and you have to hope for the best and also try and get the best. And so, you know, I'll just tell you in my own company, uh, as an example, uh, we did some cutbacks of some expenses, uh, including a small amount of people's salaries. Uh, and we told people that as long as business improves and we get back to a financially solid condition, we will give those back. Uh, and I gave people an update last week and I said, by the way, there's a very good chance we're busy now. Things are getting back to normal. Uh, I am reasonably certain that things are going to be in a good state and we're going to be able to go back to normal financially, but I'm not promising. And I looked everybody in the eye and I said, I cannot promise because there is uncertainty. And so you have to be able to communicate like that with everybody that you do business with. I mean, everybody understands what's going on. So you need to communicate with transparency 
with your employees, with your customers, with your suppliers, with your investors, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I deal in the private equity uh, community, as, as I think I've mentioned, you know, a lot of businesses are managed by people who founded them, but they're not owned by them anymore, or they're not owned by them completely. So you need to be able to make sure your investors know what to expect when you come to them and ask them for another infusion of cash, or if businesses are lucky to be enough to be giving dividends. Uh, you know, there may not be a dividend this year still, even if it's trending up. So there's transparency. Uh, and for yourself, planning for the worst, variableizing your costs where you can, creating uh, interesting relationships with your suppliers, maybe where you can share risk, because on the one hand, if they shut down, you want to pre-build stock uh, if you're selling goods. But on the other hand, you don't want to pre-build too much stock if then your demand falls. So you have to think about ways to be creative or, you know, maybe move to a bit more of a just-in-time system if it's possible on short notice. Uh, Think about promotion. Think about cash. And when I say think about cash, you know, you could argue now that there is a pretty good chance that we won't have a very big second wave and business will continue to slowly improve throughout the fall and towards the end of the year. But there is some chance that uh, things will crash again, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, If it were me, uh, and I'm perhaps lean conservative, I would say I would much rather uh, be in a safe position if uh, things crash uh, then actually hope for, you know, more margin. So when you're thinking about your pricing, if you run a service business and you think about selling out your capacity now in a guaranteed way, uh, even if it's slightly lower margin, if you're in a goods business, you know, we've talked about a power retail. If you think about selling your inventory out it now, when you get the cash, even if it's lower negative margin, uh, is that better than waiting because maybe you won't have to do that and maybe you're going to get more margin later? And I would say, again, if I were advising you, err on safety. We have a lot of uncertainty. Cash is king. Make sure that you're promoting a lot uh, and putting yourself in the best position to survive. And later, if the second wave doesn't come, guess what? We have a winter. We have a spring. There's lots more time to make up your margin. Uh, but I would say cash is king. Do what you need to do to survive. Yeah. And then you're better prepared uh, and and, or have a step up instead of having to potentially panic. Um, Okay. Before we wrap up the show, I do want to move on to the next topic. We've been going through a bunch of different industries and the uh, issues that they're facing. And I want to dig into tourism because we do talk about airlines and travel so much. Um, We have obviously seen uh, you know, the Canadian government has pitched in some money to encourage domestic travel. But as you mentioned before, uh, there are a lot of operators that are relying on foreign visitors coming to the country for their business. And the summer season is typically a boon for tourism operators across the country. But obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has uh, changed those <laughs> this season and, and the how busy it is. So, Mark, what advice do you have for business owners? that depend on tourism, what should they be doing in the summer season? What's the fix for them? Skate where the puck is going. Uh, I think that... (laughs) Where is it going? (laughs) Well, you know, if the government of Canada is using money to promote Canadian tourism, it's because they believe that they have a shot of promoting Canadian tourism. They are uh, specifically uh, invested in doing that for a lot of reasons, even in the best of times. Uh, They're going to give you support. So I would say... When you think about your promotion dollars, take all of your promotion dollars as a tourism agency, uh, whatever, 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 you know, whatever stage of the value chain you're at, and take everything away from the U.S. and away from Europe 
and redirected towards Canada. You know, uh, close to 80% of uh, tourism in Canada is domestic anyway. And of the portion that is uh, uh, international, 55% is the U.S. I don't think any of us expect a, a large uh, U.S.-Canada tourism business to emerge in the next few months. The situation there is way too dire. I think, uh, you know, I love the U.S. I love my friends and business associates there. I don't want them to come here. Right. And so as long as the border is closed, there's just no reasonable expectation so, that that is gonna, tourism is going to return. So if you are spending money uh, in cities in the U.S. promoting, uh, you know, if you're if you're uh, a municipality or a hotel chain or an airline, which they, they all spend money all over the world, redirect that redirect, redirect. Right. And you have to redirect it to Canada because people in Canada are traveling. I mean, my, my trip next week is a business trip, uh, but I know a lot of people are traveling within Canada and looking forward to traveling within Canada. I'm going on a camping trip uh, that's within Ontario. I'm spending money. I'm spending more money on a camping trip than I thought I would, uh, but because it's one of these outfitted ones, which I've never done, but guess what? I'm not going internationally, and so uh, I don't mind doing it. And that company is charging a premium. So uh, for COVID, so there's so many ways to promote tourism within Canada. I would just say give up on the U.S. and give up on Europe for now. Um, promote, again, fill your capacity. You know, again, this, this example I gave, they're, they're charging a premium. But if you have to, fill your capacity with slightly lower margin and get some certainty. Uh, think about bundling. We talked when we talked about uh, the fitness industry, about the ecosystem, Right. So mm -hmm. there's lodging and there's travel and there's food and there are uh, tourist sites. So think about uh, where you are and how you could partner with everybody around. Now, this is not, I mean, I'm not, this is not a revolutionary idea I'm bringing because, you know, the package tourism business has been around for many, many years, but not everybody partakes. So if you are a small bed and breakfast and you sort of look at uh, how the big companies do package and you say, well, I, I'm never involved in that. Well, now's the time to get involved in that. So think mm -hmm. of the local tourist attractions and think of a way that you can work with them to spend money on social media and create a package between the two of you to get uh, people from another city to drive there. Uh, the rental car companies are doing not too bad. Uh, by the way, relative to uh, others. So with the exception of Hertz, right, <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we don't want to start talking about that again. But uh, no. <laughs> but the rental car companies are not doing not as bad because some people who would take the train or would take the, a plane are, are driving. And again, for domestic tourism, if you don't have the right vehicle. So think about what you can do. They're big companies, but maybe they're interested in partnering with you and get some government money. So the government has said, that they are going to invest. Well, have they spent it all themselves? Have they given it all to their uh, agencies and bought all the media? Are they reserving a portion for uh, working with uh, local businesses? And one thing I will say about the government today uh, is that although it's easy to always criticize the government for being too bureaucratic, lots of red tape, a lot of red tape is falling away now because of the time urgency of getting things done. Call your uh, call your uh, provincial or federal tourism agency and say, hey, by the way, I'm a hotel. I'm a small restaurant chain. What are you going to do to help me? Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. What are you going to do to help me? So some ideas. Yeah, anyway. and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the ecosystem and the bundles. I have a friend who's been instead, you know, ditched plans to go to Europe over the summer and is now doing some hiking around Ontario. 
And she's been so surprised by how many deals that they're getting to stay at a, you know, a hotel or motel. And then combined with the restaurant, you get credits to eat there. And um, so she's actually found a lot of deals and is really excited for that. But unfortunately, Mark, we have run out of time. What? I know. Every time. We're going to have to make the show longer, it sounds like. Um, if you want to rewatch this episode again or get the latest economic news related to the coronavirus pandemic, please check out Yahoo Finance Canada. Um, Crisis Management is also a podcast, so you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to us. Um, and if you have any questions for Mark, feedback about the show, or if you're a business owner with a question you want answered, you can email me at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Thank you for tuning in. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>